This is the Life and Soul podcast with me, Emma Forbes. 2020 really was an eventful year. And amidst the madness, we've all had time to reflect on what we most appreciate in life. And although we're still surrounded by uncertainty, it's important to be reminded of what really matters. I'm going to be asking some fabulous guests what makes them tick, asking them what really gives them life and what really feeds their soul. So join me for some nuggets of wisdom, a moment to breathe, and above all, a good old chat over a virtual cup of tea. And I hope that by listening, you'll leave feeling a little brighter about the year ahead. You're listening to the Life and Soul podcast with me, Emma Forbes. Thrilled to be joined by this award-winning writer, editor. She's worked on many magazines such as Cosmopolitan and Glamour for nearly a decade. She's also written three incredible books, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, The Unexpected Joy of Being Single, and The Unexpected Joy, her most recent one, of The Ordinary. It's so nice to meet you, Catherine. So lovely to chat to you. Lovely introduction. I was so intrigued to sort of chat to you because obviously we're in 2021 now and, I, and I'm sort of focusing on well-being in the beginning of the year because I thought, well, that would be, you know, it's what people know. It's always that new year, new year. I hate that title, actually. But, you know, people always talk about dry January or they try and do things. And I was sort of fascinated because your first book and your journey of being sober, which was published, wasn't it, in 2017, it's a bit like a, a memoir, but it's also because obviously that's how you got sober. But it's it's just a really interesting book on when because you interview top experts and everything like that. And I'm fascinated on your take on it with with now sort of COVID, where I'm sure people's drinking went through the roof. I mean, you've probably got statistics on it that I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that lockdown must have encouraged a lot more people to get to, to not be sober. And also, but equally, there's that thing of millennials that we keep reading about where they are, they're, drinking is a much less sort of prevalent thing. So where should we start? Should we start with, should we start with COVID? Yeah, let's let's go for it. Let's, <laughs> let's go to the nitty gritty. When I knew I was interviewing you today, I was so excited to tell you because I've actually never really said it to anybody. But I'm 55, and I've never, I've never had a drink. I've never had a hangover. I have never been drunk in my life. Wow. Part of the reason I don't talk about it is, is I think my kids. It's it's sort of it's a funny thing. I mean, I think my son, who's like 21, is almost a bit like, but 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 why? Do you know what I mean? He's a bit like, Mum, you haven't lived, and if you haven't kind of been you know, puked up and, you know, had that kind of moment. And it's so funny because I grew up with parents that drank and I, I mean, not to excess, but I mean, as in, it wasn't like I grew up to sober parents or anything like that, but it just, I think I must've had something in me. And when I was reading your book, I thought maybe I did where I just knew if I drank, Mm -hmm. I probably would be the sort of person that was having a lot Mm. do you know what I mean you know when you know you've got an internal switch yeah, I probably thought you know what if I found that drink I liked because yeah. I tell a lie I once tried a pina colada and I thought this is so good I could sort of have that for breakfast and maybe yeah. there was something inside going <laughs> do you know what Emma I did back that. away from the alcohol <laughs> however COVID you know really I there were times I thought you know maybe COVID lockdown would be a lot easier with drink Mm, well, I think a lot of people thought that because the, it really spiralled upwards. But also what's it really interesting about the national drinking during lockdown was that it pushed it on either end. So a quarter of people drank more, a right. lot more. and But then a third of people had the same instinct as you did when you were a teenager and thought, I'm going to get into trouble with this. So I'm going to cut right down. 
stop having booze in the house and 6% quit altogether, which doesn't sound like a very big amount, but 6% is thousands and thousands of, well, tens of thousands of people if it's representative. I actually think 6% is a pretty big stat, to be honest, particularly in such challenging times. Yeah, so it's really interesting how it kind of concertinaed at either end because people either just went for it. And I, yeah. I got emailed a terrifying press release today, actually, which said that, is it terrifying though? Because I would have done it myself when I was drinking. 90% of people, because they've been working from home, have been drinking during work hours now. Because yeah. it's so easy to do. So at lunchtime, yeah. they're having a glass of wine and then they're continuing. And maybe they're a bit, they feel a bit awkward on Zoom or whatever, and they're, or they're nervous about presenting. Um, on a webcam and so they're having a little drink to help them with that and uh, what's also really interesting is that you were so ahead of your time (laughs) because I know I mean I'll make you laugh about that but quickly going back to that I had a few friends who younger than me who were homes because my kids I luckily thank god didn't have to homeschool my children (laughs) but honestly they were saying to me Emma if you were homeschooling your children you would be taking to the wine because it was not just the lockdown but people having to become a teacher a kind of you know doing all of that there were so many obstacles in people's way that would have made it right so I'm quite I'm I'm very interested in the fact that it went sort of either way and then I guess there was that bit in the middle that maybe just continued as they always had did they yeah probably and they're probably the people who can moderate which I don't I don't really understand those people because I've never been like them but you know the people who can have one or two drinks and lucky for them what's interesting is I think we see alcohol as this relaxation aid but it's not very relaxing it is in the moment it definitely works to soothe anxiety and to sort of numb negative emotions but the next day that very same anxiety or emotion comes rearing back up worse than it was before you had a drink unless you can stick to the the, you know one or two it's it's interesting isn't it because often there's a thing of like you know, I'm so obsessed with health and well-being. There are people that go, well, what would do you the world of good? It's like a gl- amount of times people said to me, have a glass of red wine. You know, that's like so, that would do you so much good. And I think it's an interesting sort of contradiction because obviously in sort of bygone days, people did have like a slug of whiskey. They'd have a hot toddy if they had a cold. It was used, I guess, in a medicinal way sometimes but really that doesn't really figure does it it's a sort of it's not really the solution as you say it's not really the thing that we should be doing for relaxation and no I mean I think if you were living in the 19th century and you needed to have an operation there was no anesthetic then (laughs) probably a good idea but now we've got lots of other coping strategies and it's so interesting that people were saying to you in lockdown that if you if you had to homeschool then you would have had to have a drink because I think there's such a huge rise in the past decade with parents being told that they need alcohol in order to parent. And I see it everywhere. On Netflix, there's this new show that's just dropped called Working Mums. And the graphic is a picture of a baby bottle and a wine bottle. And it's just memes are always there, you know, about needing to drink and apparently it's because I've just interviewed loads of people from my new book it's now an absolute given that at kids birthday parties parents drink so it's yeah. really been sold as not just a relaxation aid but a parenting aid as well which is very interesting I have some thoughts on big alcohol the alcohol industry because they're, they're very yeah. they're being quite clever about the way they're targeting 
women and parents and also sort of sneaking into the wellness industry now there's lots of weirdness like yoga with wine in it you know yoga classes where you have wine it's just very very bizarre and have you noticed all the stuff around gin gin being supposedly a health drink there's that whole thing and as I say I literally speak from zero knowledge but like tequila is clean people talk about drinks being clean or oh, well, if you're going to drink drink tequila or vodka because it's so clean and you get mm-hmm. and I'm like is it clean and and the bottles get sort of more and more beautiful and better I'm sure you know all of that advertising it's like if I I mean I'm so shallow if I was going to drink tequila I'd drink the one that's made by George Clooney because I love George Clooney <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh that would be a great one because it's attached to George who I love George <laughs> so therefore it'd be good I was a bit ahead of my time and it was a very odd thing because I was very ashamed of not drinking. In fact, my first sort of big boyfriend in my life, who was the first person that really took me on sort of proper dates, he would order wine. And I can remember thinking, oh my God, oh my God, what do I, what do I do? What do I do? And so I, I mastered this genius art of if he got up to go to the bathroom or if he sort of looked away, I could switch glasses or suddenly pour half of my glass into his or yeah. chuck it behind me in a plant. I literally became the master of it. And I remember that we'd been dating for about six weeks and he used to get incredibly drunk on our dates because he was actually drinking the whole bottle of wine thinking I'd drunk half of it, but I was adding it to his. And when I said to him, I've got to be honest, I don't drink. He said, I wish you told me because I've spent so much like harder money trying to impress you with a bottle of wine and you've been like chucking it in a plant you should have just said and and I've always been known as a cheap date because I'm because I don't drink but I was very ashamed of it but weirdly I've been much more ashamed of it in later life I've Mm -hmm. I've found it much harder in my more recent years when I go to people's houses or well in the days when you did go to people's houses it doesn't matter now in COVID but people make a big deal of it it is an odd thing. And I sort of don't feel now at 55 the need to do it, but it's rare. I don't ha- I actually don't know that many people. It's again why I was quite interested by you saying that there's been a 40% rise in millennials. Because mm. I don't, out of, you know, I'm obviously not a millennial, but like I don't know that many of my generation that, that don't drink. So it must, so what's changed it for the millennials? Is it health? Mm. So now, staggeringly, 30% or actually 29% of 18 to 24 year olds do not drink. You would have been cool. This is why you're such a trailblazer, you see. (laughs) You're just way ahead of your time. They don't have any shame around it. It's becoming much more socially acceptable not to drink. There was also a study recently which found that 80% of them would feel no weirdness whatsoever about ordering a soft drink at a bar when they're at a social event. It's something that I think, yeah, it's twofold. I think it's the health, the awareness around the health risks of drinking, because it's only really in the past five years that the World Health Organization has begun to say, look, the the benefits, you know, of small amounts of alcohol are actually outweighed by the risks. So just bear that in mind. And the safe amount is actually zero. Millennials have grown up in that culture, whereas we grow we grew up in a in a very different culture where it was expected that you were going to grow up and be a drinker. Yes. And isn't it so strange that it's just a drink? So if I didn't drink, if you did had not drank coffee when you were on those dates, nobody would you wouldn't have felt shame around no. that, or nobody would have challenged that. Or if you went to a dinner party and you didn't want 
you, you're a vegetarian. Nobody yeah. cares about that. I mean, maybe 15 years ago, they would have given you some grief. No, but... you're right. Well, that, I guess that it's sort of an attitude, isn't it? Because I'm just like, I'm so indifferent to it. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Again, when I went was reading your book, I was sort of, I got it because, you know, when you work for magazines and, you know, in the industry that I've worked in as well, I, I totally got it. You were at all these these big events. And even though I used to do presenting, the one time that I would have that sort of nervousness was those sort of industry parties, you know, the ITV Christmas party was terrifying, you know, absolutely terrifying. And so I totally get why people get themselves into that situation, because if you do drink, it does give you a different sort of bravery. It gives the whole experience maybe a bit more, you know, that sort of confidence for a minute. And I, I, I get it. I understand it is, 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 I guess, what I'm saying. I understand how people get there. But, you know, I think, as you say, it is, there's more benefit in making it. I mean, do we have to sort of make it cooler to not drink? Or do you think yes. that's just happening with sort of the osmosis of life? Are people just kind of going, it's kind of OK either way? Yeah, well, I think it's gradually happening anyway. So when I quit, which was seven years ago, there was nobody on Instagram that was out about being sober. And now if you if you type in sober on Instagram, there's literally thousands of people talking about being sober and using their real name and, you know, just being completely unashamed about it. Coming back to what you were saying about pe- being on the dance floor and people assuming that you were you were drunk. I've had that before at weddings because, I mean, my first sober wedding, I just basically hid in the lose. I was, te- I was terrified because, you know, I was 33 and I'd never really socialised without alcohol, let alone got onto a dance floor. So I just didn't know how to do it. So you learned to do that naturally over time, which all yeah. of us would learn how to do that if we didn't pick up drinking in yes. our early teens. I started drinking at 12 and yeah. that wasn't unusual among my friends. I think no. I was pretty early, but I think most of my friends would say they started drinking at 14, 15. So 100%, I think it's much earlier picking yeah. up on that than people ever think. Yeah, yeah. and so you, you're like, oh, there's this magical potion that makes me feel less awkward and less nervous. Because as a teen, you're, you are yeah, very awkward, awkward and nervous, nervous. Yeah. which is just how you're supposed to be as an adolescent. And then it becomes a crutch and people start using it whenever they're socializing as a regular thing. And then they begin to need it. And I, too, completely understand why people drink. I did it for 21 years. So yeah. I'm the last person to judge drinkers. I get it. I understand what they were, what they're looking for in it, and what it gives them. Yeah. But I am admittedly quite anti-alcohol now because once you start digging around in the industry and the corruption, it's eye-opening. It's very similar to how tobacco companies stealth marketed and hid health risks back in the when would that seventies. That would have been. So we're kind yes. of still there with alcohol. But yeah, I, I get it why people need a drink to get onto a dance floor. It took me a year to get onto a dance floor when I was sober. And I think you're right in terms of saying, you know, just to drink, because you talked about coffee, which I'm drinking in front of you now. I had to make myself like coffee. I don't know about you, but I don't think anybody grows up and has a first cup of coffee and goes, this is heaven. You drink <laughs> coffee because everybody else drinks coffee and it's become the thing to do. Do you know what I mean? It's like, like, that's what you do. You drink coffee. You're not really an official adult until you drink coffee. And it's like, you make yourself like coffee. It's not actually something that you're, you don't have a a built-in taste to love those things. I think you have to acquire it. 
yeah and it's exactly the same with alcohol you don't you don't love the first drink of alcohol you normally spit it out but then you like the feeling and that's what keeps keeps you coming back or even if yeah. you don't like the feeling at first which actually it's interesting people who are more prone to anxiety and introversion are more prone to like the feeling because it blurs the yeah. edge of anxiety yet even if you don't like the feeling the social pressure that you are expected to drink will keep you coming back so eventually it'll get its hooks into you most of the time if you do drink even if it's just that you need you feel like you need a drink when you're at a party once every week not not now <laughs> back in 2019 what is that word party do we remember <laughs> yeah do we even remember what a party is <laughs> party for one um no you're right I mean I think it's it is all about social perception I mean I remember once I had a terrible falling out actually it's actually the only one but I had a terrible falling out with really dear friends because I really felt so pressurized they were doing shots and they were like come on it really annoyed people I think that's the bit that's often surprised me is it annoys people because it's almost like that thing sometimes there are people in life that they just want you in their camp with them it's yes. like when, you know, it's like when you have a baby, I always liken it to like when you have a baby, everybody's like, oh my God, it's like amazing. You know, you just, it, you wait, you know, and you say, but the, everybody that's had a baby, they want you in that boat with them. So that then when you've had the baby and you kind of go, God, I haven't slept for like two and a half years, they go, I didn't want to tell you that. They want you sort of part of that club. They want you in the no sleeping club. So they tell you all the good bits. And so people can get a bit, like nasty that you're doing it and I find that sort of in the health and wellness world a little bit generally it's like if you say you're plant-based or something like that it, it sort of it slightly annoys people because I guess maybe you're slightly showing if they don't eat healthily or they're doing it there's, there's a little bit of like not envy but there's a bit of like oh it's annoying that you're pointing out something that maybe I should look at not necessarily do but like maybe I should look at it Mm, have you ever experienced that I think and I can speak from experience because I have been the person who would have given you the <laughs> pressure <laughs> I mean I remember once saying to a teetotaler that I worked with she came to the pub with us I invited her to the pub and then when she wasn't drinking I said what are you doing here you may as well just leave I was mm. horrible to her there was another person that I met liked very much until I found out they didn't drink. And then I said, Oh, what a shame. I thought we could be friends, but no, <laughs> you know, I was mean to non-drinkers and teetotalers, but the only reason I was mean to them was because I felt like it held up a mirror to my drinking and I didn't yes. like how that made me feel. And like you just said with the whole, have a baby, you know, club, people like it when other people make decisions that match theirs because it validates their decisions. It's yeah. as simple as that. So when somebody's making a different decision, it makes you uncomfortable and a bit squirmy because you start thinking, maybe I should try not drinking or maybe I should try being vegan or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And you feel judged even though the person hasn't judged you. It's just a social bias that we like people to match us and do the same things. So you talk about the, the joy of being sober. Tell me some of the kind of the joyous bits that you found or the, you know, where you feel it's going in terms of people who might be listening to this kind of going actually this 
this is a bit of a wake up. I mean, people will be listening with different views. They'll be going, cannot believe Emma doesn't drink. And that's sad. And I never want to listen to her again. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be going, I want to get Catherine's book. I'm like, that's shown up a mirror to me or whatever they're thinking. What are the joys of being sober? What, what has it brought to your life that is completely different, I guess, from what you had? It's difficult to sum up, but I'll give it a go because it's literally yeah, there's a lot. I'm sure. But, yeah. Okay, let's start with health because I, I know that you're very into wellness. My sleeping after about two weeks of being sober, it just deepened into this beautiful pattern that I'd never experienced before. Because apparently, I didn't know this, but if you have a drink, then your body naturally wakes you up at about four a.m. because it's detoxifying and that's when the alcohol all leaves your system on average so I would be awake at 4am staring at the ceiling till about five or six anxious because the alcohol had just left my system so when after two weeks sober I started just falling into this deep sleep where I would wake up after eight hours and not having woken up during the night I was just blown away other things like I had really bad cystic acne that's completely gone um My anxiety was just so bad towards the end of my drinking that I was practically agoraphobic. I couldn't even meet somebody for a coffee without having a quick drink beforehand because I was physically addicted to it. I was getting, you know, trembly hands and all that sort of thing. And nobody else noticed it, but I could feel that I was getting shaky. My anxiety now has just completely gone away. I mean, I've even been on, I still get anxious, but it's manageable. So actually it hasn't completely gone away. In terms of anxiety, I think that's another one of those words where everybody talks about, you know, anxiety and we've kind of got rid of it. I think there's certain anxiety, we can't really ever get rid of it. Everybody gets anxious at some point. It's kind of, it's natural and the world we live in and God knows, you know, with Corona coming into our world, it would be, you'd have to be kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Terminator to not get anxiety over things. It's like impossible, but I think it's how you, you manage it, I guess, or find that way that gets rid of anxiety for you and it's so you know having talked to a lot of people during lockdown having you know had experts on the shows and things that you know everybody finds their little anti-anxiety recipe if you like that works for them because it's very individual but I but I totally see what you're saying about skin and hair and I don't think people necessarily associate alcohol with having such an effect on people's physical being. I think people obviously know that hangovers feel dreadful but they don't know about the 360 effects it has on our health and just weird things like I was suddenly able to tan and apparently that's something to do with vitamin b I think because drinking leeches your body of vitamin b and so I would go on two-week holidays and lie out every day and not tan and now I can tan easily and actually when you look at tanning accelerators they're loaded with vitamin b so I mean that was really odd just other things that I didn't even connect with the drinking like I was always in debt I thought I was just a fiscal idiot but I'm not it turns out because I've just bought my first flat because you know I was I was spending all my money on drinking and taxis and fried chicken at 2am. I was gonna say the other thing is it's expensive you know it's super expensive isn't it I mean you know for when you think sort of historically students and things like that I know they can buy alcohol cheaply but it's it's an expensive accessory. It's like smoking. I'd, I'd sort of, I don't know, I, I, my dad used to smoke. And I asked somebody just recently, like, how much a packet of cigarettes is? Because I, I really didn't know as a non-smoker. I thought, my God, it's like they're, they're, you can really just hemorrhage money on this stuff. I mean, people would save so much money. It's 
crazy. I mean, I, I would say that the my flat deposit is is basically what I've saved on alcohol, and that I saved yeah. that within seven years, and you know, it, it's not it's not cheap. But just also, I just feel so much more in control of my life. Before, I was just firefighting things that you know, if something went seriously wrong, I would firefight it. But now, yeah. I'm just so much more calm and together, and have the wherewithal to do things that I wouldn't have. Otherwise. And I'm sure your your book and everything, it must have like, you must have sort of heard from a lot of people since then. Do you, do you find you had like a massive, maybe did you have, I know you'd also done the unexpected joy of being single and the unexpected joy of the ordinary. Did you have like the biggest reaction to the one on being sober? Was that the sort of? hundred percent. Yeah. The last time I saw the sales figures, that was 150,000 people had bought it. And within the first month, I got 700 beautiful emails and letters and social media messages and just people saying, I can't believe that you're articulating things that I've never heard anyone say. And here's my deepest, darkest secrets. And, you know, I'm going to give it a go. So I think it it really hit a nerve with people because I was I was just so brutally honest in it. Well, I was going to say I think what I loved about it is is your sort of honesty and your authenticity. And actually, it's so interesting chatting to you. And I can say this to you, but you you know, you talk about how it was, you know, crippling anxiety and shyness and, and 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 you know, overwhelming things that made you drink. But talking to you now as this cool, confident person, like it's it is. It's amazing because it is life transforming because you just don't you just don't seem that person. So it is it must be inspiring to others because you can see that it's possible. You know, people can see that actually they just don't need it. No. And I mean, you're walking proof of that as well. When people drink around me and, and I guess it's something that I've sort of heard over the years. People talk about, oh, they're a good drunk. Like, like people talk about what type of drunk person you are. They're a good drunk. They're a nasty drunk. They're an aggressive drunk. There's like all these sorts of names. And you think it's quite weird. And I'm one of those people where I, I don't really notice it unless it's quite extreme in people. And I do know people in my life where it is a complete personality change. Yeah. Like a complete switch. And there is a point where you think, wow, if you could see like what, what I'm see so I spoke to a neuroscientist recently who said that you drop down so if you imagine you know that really famous evolutionary image of the ages of man the caveman yeah slash they it's like we've regressed we've devolved essentially when we're very drunk because you drop down into a part of your brain where your your prefrontal cortex which is essentially the evolved rational intellectual part of your brain has switched off and you're now living in this subcortical region, which is just completely driven by wants and desires. And th- that's why the, you, you'll often see something like a bride crying in, on her wedding day because she's had too much to drink or a groom fist fighting. Because even though it's the this day that they've spent all these thousands of pounds <laughs> of fun, but the, the frontal lobe has switched off because they've had too much to drink. And now that they're, they're living in this weird primal zone where they just want to fight or cry or, or eat chips, you know. I have been to a few weddings a bit like that where you see, you're so right. To me, there's a sort of, and I don't want, I mean, and I'm, and I'm not a judgmental person. So as I say, I've never really, and anybody will kind of go, I didn't know that about Emma because I don't make a thing of it, right? So I don't sort of judge people, but I have been to weddings and I'm like, there's this beautiful bride and they've spent 
hard-saved money on creating the perfect dress where the minute detail has mattered. You know, that bow to the left on the hip that kind of wasn't quite right, that made them sort of, all these things. And then suddenly at the end of the evening, you see this like slightly debauched scene and the bottom of the dress is kind of, has been trampled on and and, yeah. and the... <laughs> I mean, that would have been my wedding day if I if I'd gotten married yeah. and I was drinking. I probably would have vomited down my dress. It's just- it's quite yeah. It's just it's a very and as I say, I'm not judgmental because everybody has their own pathway. And I haven't brought my kids up to to be you know. I, I was very keen. That I didn't bring my kids up sort of worried by alcohol or kind of you know. I didn't make it forbidden because I thought you know, I mustn't be like that. I wanted them to not sort of do it in secret because their mum didn't do it kind of thing. But it's interesting, neither of them are big drinkers. Ah, well, you see, that's the funny thing. Kids don't necessarily do what they're told. They do what you do. And it's much more like my, my daughter's was a conscious decision. She just happens to be somebody that's really, you know, she cares about her health. She's definitely rubbed that off on me and she's very into that. So she's very take it or leave it with it. Mm. And my son is, you know, different and he's been to university and he's kind of led and, and, and of course he drinks. But when I see some of their contemporaries, but, but knowing I was chatting to you, I chatted to him last night, he's 21. And I said to him, you know, I'm interviewing this lady and blah, blah, and he said, oh, mum, he said, like, nobody cares if somebody doesn't drink anymore. Yeah. You know, he's at USC on the West Coast. There's 35,000 students there. Right. And he said, nobody, nobody minds. Obviously, drink driving is a huge thing. And in America, you rightly get your license instantly taken away. So, you know, but he just said, oh, it's, it, you know, it's not such a big deal. Like people don't pressurize you to do it like it's a personal choice thing yeah I mean I think that's really what we need to strive towards is a society where it's optional you yeah. can say what you want to drink and nobody's going to give you a hard time or call the last thing you want to be called at a party is boring yes I've even heard about people being told that they ruined a four-year-old's birthday party because they didn't drink it's just it's just weird <laughs> so yeah. you know I think people should have the option of drinking if they want to or not drinking if they don't want to. I think that, you know, having people like you be authentic and outspoken and and talk about these things. And actually, I love the titles of your books because we haven't even talked about the joy of being single or the joy of the ordinary. And what are you and also what you're working on at the moment? What are you working on now? Oh, well, it's it's another sober book. I can't say the title yet because okay. it hasn't been announced. But it's, yeah, so it's it's about Unexpected Joy Being Sober was about the first four years. And this is yeah. about the last three years. Because I really thought kind of, a little bit thought I knew it all when I wrote yeah. the first book. And now that just seems preposterous because <laughs> I've done so much more work in the past three years around things like the, the biggest predictor for later addiction is what they call adverse childhood experiences. So right. digging around into stuff like that, that like darkness in childhood, it makes you seven times more likely to go on to have an adult addiction. So I've had a lot of therapy mm. around that. And I mean, there's a, there's a lot of fun stuff in there too, don't worry. And <laughs> do you feel, I mean, I'm sure you do. I probably know the answer to this question. It's basically a work in progress, isn't it? You have to keep sort of exploring that sober 
journey I guess you have to keep sort of as you say you've like you know the last three years maybe it'd be more different Covid will have yeah. added a different dimension not necessarily to your journey but like other people's will have made it harder work or a bigger challenge is it something that that like ever goes away and you just sort of wake up and go I think I'm kind of done and that's fine or does you think most people it's something they continuously just have somewhere at the back of their mind that it's something that could have a trigger Mm, well, you see, I don't in any way crave alcohol anymore. Um, so it's not so much about that, but it's more about... So if I could call recovery something different, I'd call it discovery, because it's more yeah. about kind of reclaim... Because I was thrown off track so uh, unbelievably. I mean, I was even doing things... I was unfaithful to practically everyone I dated when I was drinking. And now I'm seven years sober and I've never been unfaithful to anyone and never... I just can know it will never happen now that I don't drink. And so I see it as almost reclaiming the person I was meant to become before I picked up alcohol and everything just, you know, went went wrong. Yeah, I would call it discovery. It's not like I wake up every day and crave alcohol. That's not remotely what it feels like. And it hasn't... like that for many many years but it's more about sort of constantly trying to better myself and understand the psychology and everything well because I think the physical craving goes quite fast I think there really is this notion and it's perpetuated in films and tv where you see it's always a tortured detective who's 10 years sober and they, they have this bottle of whiskey in the kitchen or something and they like <laughs> bathe it every now and then. And that's yeah. just not how it feels. It's a, it's a lot more similar to, I don't know if you ever smoked, but it's a lot more similar to quitting smoking than it is yeah. um, represented in the media. Honestly, if somebody walked past me and had just had a glass of wine, it would make me recoil. Yeah. Um, I don't like the smell of it. I don't, you know, I, I don't have it in food generally because just just because I don't like it anymore. Not because I think it's going to trigger me to go on this massive binge, but I wouldn't drink it either, if you see what I mean. I yes, you've just gone beyond that point of it being in your life in any shape or form. But I think you can get to a point where, I mean, I've I've lived with a drinking partner and all that sort of thing and lived with alcohol quite happily I don't want it anymore I don't really have that sort of one day at a time feeling where I'm on a cliff edge and I'm fearful of alcohol so and I very much wanted my recovery to feel like that or discovery um right from the beginning so I I aimed for that yeah well I think that's also really you know, again, refreshing for people listening, because I guess, you know, we all have a standard picture of what it's like in our heads for people who get sober. We all think of the 12 step program and the one day at a time and this whole thing. And actually, as you say, perhaps there's a way of sort of, you know, rewording it into discovery, perhaps there's, a, you know, other ways of looking at it so that people have other options on that front, too, so that actually becoming sober isn't such a daunting same size fits all yeah and I mean there's plenty of people that do it through 12 step I I didn't personally I went for six months and it just wasn't for me but I have huge respect for it but figures show that half of people who quit successfully don't use any sort of formal treatment they they sort of do it themselves in a bespoke way I mean not do it themselves they have help but they yeah sort of put together a bespoke set of tools that works for them them. you know go to an official rehab or what have you neither way is better or or worse it it just is what it is whatever suits you suits you but 
yeah, it's certainly not this lifetime of constant craving that I was set up to expect it would be. Yes, I was going to say, I guess that's, you're, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the media's got so much to answer for on so many levels. I felt like it did in COVID too. Like it was just, we get these visions of what, you know, these stereotypical visions in the same way people, you know, who are depicted in the media who are sober like me would be, it would be boring. You know, yeah. that, that is the word that people go. It's like, oh, she's a bit boring. She doesn't really drink or. Yeah. You know. but, I mean, that, that wouldn't be the case now because no. I mean, seven years ago, it was all, you know, sober is an anagram of bores. And now yes. you see these um, on Glamour magazine, which I used to work for, it, you know, these galleries of teetotal celebrities. And there's absolutely no nuance of negativity about their no. teetotaling. It really is beginning to change. I would say in 10 years, it will be completely socially acceptable not to drink and nobody will challenge you on it. I think it would be nice because, as I say, I still feel, you know, not always, but the certain situations where I feel, you know, like people are disappointed that I'm not having a drink. So my generation, Generation X and baby boomers, the generation just above me, they are the hardest drinkers. And also because we did grow up in very much it being a good thing to drink and go yeah. out that's how you have fun but that will eventually recede as the generations coming up millennials and generation z come up and normalize not drinking so yeah. i think it's yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out but yeah the teetotaling numbers are just going up and up so people are obviously being drawn towards it yeah. Well, I think that's great. Well, I've loved chatting you today because it's it's fascinating to me. And, I'm, and I really am fascinated by all those statistics that they've given. And um, I say, I love your books. Well, and we'll await the next one because I think that will be an, another great read. So it, it's brilliant that you did it because I, I honestly, I just, I always admire people. I just think honesty and just being upfront helps people more than anything else. Like it's it's that authenticity that really gets to people because that's what, people can really relate to. And I think people can always tell the difference between something that's really authentic and not authentic. So mm. I thought your book was fantastic. Oh, so I can't, I will read the next one, even though I'm already sober, I will <laughs> definitely read the next one. And thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And also, if you've enjoyed this episode, do leave a five-star review and you can find out more by going to buyemma.co.